Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to your next true crime obsession. Don't miss new BritBox original drama, The Sixth Commandment, which The Guardian calls as immaculate a piece of TV as you will ever see. You will hear evidence of extreme gaslighting. Help me, please. I am going to be waiting on you, hand and foot. Stream this plus the best selection of British true crime series anywhere, only on BritBox. Once you start investigating, you won't be able to turn away. Start streaming today with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. She was known as the People's Princess, the Queen of Hearts. Diana had a charisma. She had this great accessibility in which she always made everybody she spoke to feel as if she was connecting only to them. From her first introduction to the world as the painfully shy teenage fiancé of Prince Charles to her later position as globe-trotting patron of HIV and landmine charities. For nearly two decades, Diana, Princess of Wales, was arguably the most famous woman in the world. She was the first superstar royal that the world had ever come across. They hung on every word she spoke, on every step she took, on every fashion item she wore, every time she changed her hair and every time she smiled. And she touched the hearts of millions. You could tell what she thought from the sort of flush of her face and her big, huge, luminous blue eyes that were well with emotion when she looked at you and was completely connected. It didn't take a rocket scientist as a photographer really to work out that not only was she amazing to photograph, but she had something extraordinarily special. That combination of her stature, her incredibly refined beauty, that wonderful peachy skin that was just flawless, then this great accessibility and kindness where she was able to connect with people in this very human way. But in the early hours of August the 31st, 1997, Diana's incredible light was suddenly, shockingly snuffed out when the speeding Mercedes S280 she was travelling in with lover Dodie Fayed, bodyguard Trevor Rhys-Jones and driver Henri Paul spun out of control and smashed into the 13th pillar at the Pont de la Alma Tunnel in Paris, France. We have reports from Paris that Diana, Princess of Wales, has been killed in a car accident and that her partner, Dodie Fayed, has also been killed. They were apparently being pursued by paparazzi on two motorcycles. The world reeled. Tributes have been paid by world leaders. The French president, Jacques Chirac, said Diana, Princess of Wales, was a young woman of our age, warm, full of life and generosity. President Clinton said he and his wife were profoundly saddened by this tragic event. A spokesman for the Archbishop of Canterbury said the prayers of the Archbishops of Canterbury and York will be with the families of Diana, Princess of Wales, and Mr. Alfayed at this tragic moment. 
the people everywhere, they kept faith with Princess Diana. They liked her, they loved her. They regarded her as one of the people. She was the people's princess. And that's how she will remain in our hearts and in our memories forever. In the 22 years since that night, the conspiracy theorists have run riot. People were saying to her, you don't know what you're dealing with. Stop putting your nose where it's not wanted. CIA had a file on Diana, which at the time of her death ran to 1,060 A4 pages. We're talking a multi-billion or rather a multi-trillion dollar business. You try putting dents in any multi-trillion dollar businesses and you're going to have hell to pay. Princess Diana herself believed strongly that she was going to be murdered and she predicted how she would be murdered. The definitive truth of exactly how and why Princess Diana died, however, has never been established. Over the next 12 episodes, we plan to change that. Welcome to Fatal Voyage, Diana Case Solved. My name is Colin McLaren. I'm an ex-detective from Australia. I investigated some of the worst crimes in our country's history, from mass murder to mafia to all sorts of pedophilia and killings, equal to anything of its kind worldwide. Way back in 1997, I got myself involved in the investigation of Lady Diana. I came to Paris for 21 days and investigated independently. Here I am now, 22 years later, with a crew, and we're going to go back and retrace those footsteps and try and uncover more evidence, more reasons, more information as to how Lady Diana died. I've seen a lot of disasters in my time as far as crime scenes are concerned. I've done a lot of cold cases picking up where other detectives have made a complete mess of it. And I think the French investigation to Lady Diana is probably, alongside JFK, the assassination, the worst of the worst. My objective with being in Paris is to knock on as many doors and talk to as many faces and wear out as much shoe leather as I can as we get around from the different locations, every aspect of what actually happened. We're going to revisit as if it's a genuine gold-plated cold case study and we're going to come out with the answers. It was like a Greek tragedy for the whole of our life. Diana was so many different people rolled into one, but she was endlessly fascinating. So she was one thing to me, and she would have been one thing to somebody else, and it depended on her mood of the day. It's because her life ended in such a terrible tragedy that she will be like Marilyn Monroe, she will be an icon forever, because certain people in certain parts of the world are determined to believe that there was a conspiracy theory. The rumblings will always go on. When Lady Diana Spencer married heir to the British throne, Prince Charles, on the 29th of July 1981, the world watched entranced. It was a real-life fairy tale, complete with beautiful bride, handsome prince, a stunning setting. But sadly, no happily ever after. Her personal butler, Paul Burrell, explains how, as Diana settled into life as wife of the future king, the public image hid a private agony. This figure which the media are molding and creating, that is the glorious Diana that would blossom into a world icon. 
Two very different people, and she performed two very different roles. On the public stage, she performed perfectly, but behind closed doors, she was a mess. That mess included infidelity. Camilla Parker Bowles is the great love of Charles's life. There's no mistake about that. Unfortunately for Diana, she fell in love with her prince. But here's the thing, I mean, the trouble was for Diana that it was an arranged marriage, but she didn't know it. Everybody knew it except for her. In a way, it was a classic sort of gaslight situation. Struggles with bulimia. She thought she looked fat. She had the most amazing figure and a fantastically athletic body. And she wasn't fat, but she thought she was. And she kind of used to think, well, if I wasn't so fat, maybe Charles would still love me, which was completely mad. And alienation from those she was supposed to be closest to. I think the royal family take the view that things happen. The Queen knows she's never interfered in any of her children's relationships. Her attitude is they make their beds, they lie on them, and they have to get on with it. These things aren't spoken about. They happen, but they happen in private and very quietly. Diana's response was to throw herself into her charity work, most notably raising awareness of HIV and campaigning against the use of landmines. I remember the Red Cross once said to her, we would like you to become executive member of the board. And she said, no, that's not what I want. I want to be on the factory floor. I don't want to be in the boardroom. Diana was a very complex character. I think she got deeply involved in things. Nothing was just done in a cursory way. She got very involved with all that projects. Diana moved mountains with a charity work, but not everyone was happy with the causes she championed. Establishment snobbery questioned whether this was the proper place for a princess, and others disapproved for different reasons. Diana made a great many enemies too with some of her charities that she picked. There were factions around the world who said that Diana was meddling in something she didn't understand because the Landman campaign was worth billions to certain countries in the manufacture of these landmines. And she was getting into very hot political and diplomatic water. There were people who felt that this is not what a royal person should be doing. She was constantly changing the rules and breaking the rules. And I would argue they were absolutely rules that should have been broken. Now, this was big, big, big mischief, big medicine, because huge sums of money were tied up in the armaments industry. And Diana proved herself to be successful through the British Red Cross in getting landmines banned. And what was the next project? Perhaps napalm, perhaps fragmentation grenades. There was no stopping what might have been happened next. But if Diana was making enemies in the powerful international arms trade, she was also angering those at the very top of the British establishment. When a feud with Prince Charles spilled from the private to the public arena, Diana became an embarrassment, a liability. Author and journalist Tina Brown captures the pulse of London at that time. She elected to go on television, on BBC, of all channels, which had always been the big supporters of the royal family, and give this wildly explosive interview to Martin Bashir, looking tragic with makeup that she'd applied very skillfully with a pale face and dark eyes and looking like a haunted woman. 
talked about the agony of being in love with a man who wasn't in love with you and who had always been unfaithful with Camilla. She famously said, of course, there are three of us in this marriage, which became a hugely quoted phrase all over the world, and how she thought that Charles wasn't appropriate to be king and how the royal family were out of touch. I mean, this was explosive stuff. In another century, she would have been sent to the Tower of London and executed for talking like that about the monarch. And all this while dealing with the pressure of an unprecedented level of fame that made her the most photographed woman in history. Images of the princess built the empire of photographer Darren Lyons, who would go on to own one of the largest international photo agencies in the business. Really, the hairs on the back of your neck stood up when the Princess of Wales was in your presence. It was just an extraordinary experience. She was truly hypnotic for a photographer and truly an extraordinary experience to photograph. It was a penny for her thoughts, the world around her, although the penny turned into multi-million dollar business of photographing her every movement of every minute of every day. I think she was the, the first of the great royal supermodels as well. Diana was the beginning of this royal adulation, and I do remember them telling me they never thought it would last. You know, they thought that, that you know Diana would create the sensation that she did when she first got married, and then it would all die down again. But it didn't, it just got more and more, and I think they weren't prepared for it, and they had no idea how big it was going to get. The enormous interest in Diana's every move wasn't limited to the media either. By 1997, she was under almost constant surveillance by the Secret Services too. Diana was not a weapon system. She wasn't a foreign country. She wasn't a diplomat. She wasn't a politician. Why the CIA had such a file on a private individual has never been explained. And the CIA has always refused to allow that file to be made public. Paris, just after midnight, August the 31st, 1997, a black Mercedes S280 raced towards the Pont de l'Alma tunnel at top speed. Paparazzi were in pursuit, hoping to get a picture of Princess Diana and her new boyfriend, Dodi Fayed. But as the car into the tunnel, their driver, Henri Paul, lost control and struck the 13th pillar. Diana's bodyguard, Trevor Rhys-Jones, would miraculously survive the crash with serious injuries, but would never remember anything. For those close to the princess, that night remains burned in their memories. Michael Mansfield, QC, is an eminent barrister who, after the death of his own daughter, has in recent years launched a charity called SOS, Silence of Suicide. To encourage people to talk about suicide, he agreed to share his serious reservations that linger to this day on the death of the princess. I heard about and watched, like everybody else, total disbelief that something like this could happen. I started asking questions of myself about this cannot, in my view, be an accident when there was so much vitriol about Diana and her relationship with Dodie at that time. It was in the middle of about two o'clock in the morning and I got a call from CNN. They said that Dodie had been killed and that Diana had got out of the car and, but had a broken leg. And I just thought, poor Diana, she just found happiness with Dodie because this is what I was thinking. And then typically her happiness has all been taken away again. 
The next thing I knew was another journalist phoning me to say, have you seen the news? I said, no. I said, turn on the television. I said, what? Well, there's been a car accident. I said, oh my God. And I looked and I said, well, she's gone. It was the biggest story in Britain. We dominated every newspaper, every TV and radio station at that time. But as I watched the scenes in Paris unfold like everybody else, I could see something else was happening. The accident happened late at night in a road tunnel which carries an expressway under a bridge at the Place de l'Alma across the River Seine from the Eiffel Tower. Reports say a vehicle carrying the princess and her entourage was being chased by photographers. Police say the chauffeur of the car was killed as well as her companion, the millionaire film producer Dodi Al-Faid. He was the son of Mohammed Al-Faid, the owner of the Harrods store in London. This crime scene wasn't being treated like a crime scene. The whole area was busier than Black Friday sales. It was mad. There were so many people inside that tunnel. Nothing was cordoned off. There was no security. There was people coming in all directions. And, and the TV cameras were in there as well, showing the world this disaster, this mess. No one seemed to be in charge. And then one of the great things with a crime scene is to take charge. The tunnel where the accident happened has now been reopened. Things need to be put into perspective. You've got to seal it off. You've got to get all your exhibits in. You've got to manage all those exhibits. There's so much to do. None of that was being done. We are seeing the debris at the moment, uh, Stephen. Uh, a badly crushed car, the roof caved in, the bonnet and the engine caved in. Well, if that is the princess's car, then um, obviously that's extremely serious because if the car has been damaged to that extent, clearly the people inside it must have undergone some considerable injuries. Once the bodies were removed from the Mercedes, a low loader truck was then reversed into the tunnel and the whole world then saw a little mobile crane come in, pick up the Mercedes that hadn't even been properly photographed yet, hadn't been treated as an exhibit yet, the bloody thing was full of clues. And what they did was the crane picked this incredibly important major exhibit up, put it on the back of a low loader, didn't even cover it, didn't even tie it down properly. And off the low loader roared into the night past the crowd. And the news services were following behind as it was bouncing along the streets of Paris. Anything could have fallen or dislodged. What is deeply disturbing is the evidence, as you've just pointed out, that the car does seem to have been almost crushed, and that, that has obvious implications. And just remind us, uh, as we look at again at the, the images of the very badly twisted car, which has been now being brought out from the underpass under the Pont d'Alma. There is the scene of the wreckage, a high-speed metropolitan tunnel well lit in the city of Paris tonight. That was a Mercedes-Benz 600 series sedan. In the front part of the car, the two flashes of white there are the deployed airbags, the remnants of the airbags. On the left is just a, a restraining post on the, uh, the solid line. This is a two-way tunnel with no solid divider between directions of traffic. Police in Paris put it on the back of a flatbed uh, Renault uh, truck with flashing lights and uh, once affixed to the truck with uh, look at the onlookers hanging onto the edge of that precipice. 
it was driven away. There's the recognizable a back end of the Mercedes uh, sedan, and there is the unrecognizable front end after what must have been what almost uh, to a person, everyone uh, who's come on the air uh, tonight agrees was a, a high-speed collision there in Paris tonight. Dodi Al-Fayed uh, dead, uh, Princess Diana dead at the age of 36. This major exhibit was just treated like a piece of junk. And I'm watching this on TV thinking, what the hell are you doing? That exhibit should have sat there for five working days. That tunnel should have been sealed for all that time. And every expert available to the French should have poured over it. Every exhibit, every piece, every item should have been pulled apart and analysed and sent away for all sorts of reports. One wonders if one is being told the whole truth at the moment. And then lo and behold, the next thing that happened within minutes was a council truck arrived. It was a water tanker and it started hosing the entire street down. The entire surface and walls of that tunnel then underwent a massive water spray. And then you had three or four council workers in these bright green and yellow outfits that then swept up everything. And this is shown on global media. What was basically the biggest problem here was nobody treated the death of Lady Diana on that massive collision that took three lives and all of the drama and all of the media noise that surrounded it as a crime scene. They just saw it as a late evening accident, hosed it down, swept up all the rubble, all the broken glass, opened the road again for the morning traffic. And that in itself is the single reason that we have all these unanswered questions today. That was probably the seed that made me so angry and I just kept watching it the next day and the day after and then straight into my travel agent, I bought a ticket and headed straight to Paris. Almost immediately, questions began to be asked. Was this really a tragic accident or something more sinister? Did the responsibility for Dana's death lie with the many enemies she had made in the establishment? Was it down to the chasing paparazzi desperate for another lucrative snap? What role did Henri Paul, the driver, really play? Unfortunately, with so much of the evidence removed, tampered with or lost by the French police, definitive answers were hard to come by. Subsequently, we had to wait for a very, very long time to try and get to the truth. And the truth is still not been fully disclosed. There were so many theories about the driver, about the car, about the crash, about everything concerned with Diane's death. Conspiracy theories ran rampant as the grieving public also sought answers to the painful loss of the People's Princess. And those closest to Diana were also aware she genuinely feared for her life. The conspiracies were given even more credence when butler Paul Burrell came forward with a shocking message from beyond the grave. The princess had been persecuted, undermined, misrepresented, misinterpreted all her life. And she was frightened during the last few years of her life. She thought she was being followed. She thought all her phone calls were being tapped. She sat at her desk often late at night and wrote me notes. And this letter goes on for 10 pages. Part of it reads, this is the most difficult part of my life. I fear that Charles is 
going to organise an accident in my car. I'm going to die of head injuries and be killed in order that he can marry Camilla. Now, when I read the princess's hand on her own stationery, saying that she prophesied her own death. She prophesied how she would die. She wasn't paranoid. She was an intelligent young woman who is informed. So what does that mean? Does that mean she was mad? Or does it mean that she knew she was going to die? I don't know. I just think it's rather odd that she was here one minute and gone the next. Paul Burrell's revelations prompted Diana's divorce lawyer, Lord Mishkin, to also come forward. In October 1996, the princess shared her deadly serious beliefs with her lawyers, Lord Mishkin, Maggie Ray and Sandra Davies. They urged her to put her concerns in writing. She wrote, This particular phase in my life is the most dangerous. My husband is planning an accident in my car, brake failure and serious head injury in order to make the path clear for him to marry. The document was taken directly to Scotland Yard where it would stay under lock and key. Photographer Darren Lyons tracked every moment of Princess Diana's public life. He has always believed there's more to the story. I have no idea whether it was a result of a conspiracy. I'm merely saying that there was so many unexplainable issues and why things particularly surround that might happen, that one must always question what happens in these scenarios when someone gets above their station and people don't want them there. Author and magazine editor Ingrid Seward also had a gut response that it might have been more than just an accident. When she died in the crash, I thought it might be somebody trying to get at Mohammed Fayed because he had a lot of very powerful enemies rather than Diana I never thought that someone would try and kill Diana I just thought in order to get to the father you get to the son and it was a very 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 high profile romance so if someone wanted to get to Al Fayed they they could have tried to kill his son in, in what looked like an accident that was the thing that flashed into my mind the establishment I'm not prepared to accept that Diana might end up in a relationship with a family that was Egyptian and particularly with a father-in-law who they found was distasteful. We have pictures of her in the south of France where you would have thought, well, I know that that was very heavily rumoured at the time. In a tiger skin one piece, you would have thought, well, got a bit of a bump. The word is out that, in fact, this relationship is not appropriate as far as the establishment is concerned, and that something should have to be done about it. Another riddle was the presence of a mysterious white car at the scene. French police had discovered white paint on Diana's black Mercedes, indicating a second vehicle had collided with it. The paint was unique to a Fiat Uno, one of the most popular cars in Europe at the time. The search involved 4,600 cars. The French police would identify two men. James Anderson denied that the white feed he owned was at the Pont de Lialma tunnel that night. His charred body, doused in petrol, was later found locked inside his BMW, and the death was officially ruled as suicide. 
Lee Van Tan, a French Vietnamese national, also denied being in the tunnel the night of the crash. He had no explanation why his car was painted red the day of the crash. He hasn't spoken on the record since. The Fiat Ono was involved on a glancing blow. And all I can say, without prejudging or prejudicing what the evidence would be at the inquest, is that the reconstruction showed that perhaps there was a loss of control of that vehicle before it may well have had a glancing blow on the unit. Now, in relation to tracing the driver, that's quite a difficult issue. Remember, it was the brigade criminal who was involved in this investigation, the creme de la creme of the French investigative system. They're used to dealing with terrorist offences and the like. They had no successful conclusion to this. There was James Andanson, and there was another person that was interviewed, as you probably remember. The individual changed the colour of the car a day or two later from white to red. But I have to say, from, from our own conclusions, I think it's going to be very difficult to trace who that driver was, with any certainty. Lord Stevens was certainly bending over backwards to praise French investigators. Nothing to see with James Anderson, and clearly Lee Van Tan would be impossible to locate. There were many witnesses to the crash site that night in Paris. American Jack Firestone was in a taxi with his wife and son. They arrived in the tunnel barely a minute after the crash. He doesn't mince words. I believe that there is a dark power, a dark force out there that either looked to assassinate Princess Diana or to assassinate Dodi al Because I don't think that Egyptian blood fit in with the overall picture. If you want to know the truth, read in between the lines. It's all there. I always believed and will always believe that there had to be a reason that they did not want me to be on that stand. I believe it to this day. And I do believe it had something to do with what I saw and what I was able to validate. After 18 months, French police produced a 6,000-page dossier outlining their investigation. In accordance with French law, the report was never published. In its place, a public statement that simply said the driver, Henri Paul, was intoxicated at the time and lost control of the car and caused the accident. Although Dana was mother to the future King of England, British Metropolitan Police didn't begin their own investigation for six years. Two British inquests ultimately ruled the deaths of Diana and Dodie, an unlawful killing at the hands of driver Henri Paul, who was deemed grossly negligent for driving while intoxicated from alcohol and prescription drugs. They further claimed the paparazzi contributed to the dangerous environment that caused the crash. In other words, it was all a tragic accident. Case closed. Move along now. Nothing to see here. But as I knew from the beginning, there were too many unanswered questions left hanging to arrive at such an easy conclusion. And chief among them, what of the mysterious white car, the elusive Fiat Uno? Was Anderson really the driver? Was his death really suicide? And what of the reticent Lee Van Tan? I've come back to Paris to find some answers. But to understand Diana's death, we'll first have to go back to the beginning of her public life. Next time on Fatal Voyage, Diana Case Solved. It was an unhappy marriage. They were ill-suited. They barely knew each other when they married. They'd only met on a dozen occasions before they got engaged. In the early days of their relationship, she had to call him sir. I mean, all these things seem utterly laughable. But we're only talking about 30-odd, 25 years or so ago. 
she was a perfectly normal woman. When any normal woman is stuck in an environment where they're completely deprived of love and understanding and people to really talk to, of course it's going to have an adverse effect on the psyche. And that's what it did. One thing you are giving up is actually your freedom, is your right to do what you want, when you want. But that's the price you pay, or they pay, for being royal. Diana was very fearful of her father-in-law. She was very frightened of him. 